The Eyes to the Left. Hello and welcome to Eyes to the Left, the Mirror's political podcast. My name is Jason Beatty and I'm joined today by my colleagues Kevin Maguire and Ben Glaze. And we are at the Lib Dem conference in Brighton and we've just listened, contain your excitement now, to Vince Cable's big leader's speech. And uh, we heard, um, I thought, rather muted um, kind of address by Sir Vince. It kind of had a kind of valedictory tone to it, didn't it, Ben? What, what did you think? We'll come to the disaster in a minute, but let's, let's, go, let's do a kind of big picture first. Yeah, I thought it was quite lackluster, actually. He didn't seem to have a lot of spark. I mean, you try to make these points without referring to Vince's age, but to be honest, it's inescapable um, that he is 75. And it just came across as lacking in sort of vim, I think, and vigour. There just wasn't any, any spark to it, I didn't feel. Do you think that, Kevin? I think whoever stood him in front of a sign saying demand better uh, was, was rather uh, ahead of their time. Uh, probably should be employed by the Labour or Conservative parties. And he left that stage very quickly at the end. I, I agree. I think it felt very valedictory. I'll be surprised now if he makes a speech next year as leader. You just can't really see it after that. It really, really just felt as if he's off. Yeah, and, and unavoidable, but... There was one pre-briefed line which kind of jumped out of us because it was slightly stomach-churning when he was meant to talk about an erotic spasm, and he fluffed it, Ben, he did. which is probably going to be Smurr's headline, isn't it? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was the pre-briefed line. It was everything that, you know, we, we, it was the, the line that everyone went for because it was so odd. Um, apparently, he wrote it himself, that line, as well. Um, you can't really blame some aid for this this line erotic spasm. And then when he came to actually say it, he stumbled over his words and referred to an exotic spasm. Um, just you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna say this, you, you've got to do it right, really. Um, I did feel like the anticlimax, as his predecessor Tim Farron said, and again, just fluffing your big line like that. Uh, you're you're tired. You're a bit worn down and. Parts of the speech weren't bad, I thought, on Brexit and on tax, but you put it all together, it didn't sing, it didn't excite the hall. Yes, they applauded bits, and at the end he got the stand innovation that is just there in any political party's rule book. But you can't actually rise to the big occasion with your own phrase. To use, use these phrases again and again. Um, are we gonna, yeah. <laughs> well, he will. He's gonna, it's going to yeah. come back. It'll haunt him now. And, it, uh, but, and I did, you did feel that the applause was very dutiful, wasn't it? There was no... They were trying to be excited by this. Again, the inevitable puns. For, but <laughs> but they, they just couldn't kind of, kind of reach the ecstasy they wanted, could I, they? I was in the hall <laughs> earlier in the week for um, Gina Miller's speech. And that went down a lot better in the hall. Um, you know, it was, it was something new, fresh. I didn't actually rate her speech that highly, but it was exciting and fresh for the people in the hall, whereas Vince just gave the impression of going through the motions, really. Um, yeah, he didn't, he didn't look to be enjoying himself. And, th- and the best thing he can do is, is get on and announce his actual departure date and clear the way for, for a fresh face, I think. Yeah, yeah. they didn't come together. And his, his, his future's behind him. Uh, he was a very prominent cabinet minister at the time. But if you're the Liberal Democrat Party and you want to move on, you need a clean pair of hands. You don't need somebody who for five years was in that coalition and you have to take responsibility. And there's a big battle within the Lib Dems of how, how much credit do you take for the coalition, how much 
do you apologise for it? You could almost see it between Nick Clegg and Joe Swinson, the deputy leader now, Swinson, mm. who wants the top job and so on. They, they disagree on the, on the emphasis. But Vince, who's he's just not risen to the occasion. It just, it just hasn't happened for him. No, and there was this, I thought, quite kind of noticeable bit when he was kind of reading out a kind of list of supposed Lib, Lib Dem successes in kind of local government. And it, and it felt like a kind of roll call of the dead, didn't it? it was 75 council seat gains, four councils, and he says that's the best in 15 years. Is that it? It's really <laughs> impressive for the party, isn't it, for the Lib Dems? I mean, well, we actually turned to each other, because I, I was surprised that it was only 75. I genuinely thought it was more than that. Um, but if they're happy with 75, that shows how far their expectations have fallen, really. But let, don't forget, this was a party that was in government for five years, just three years ago. Yeah, but it's kind of a long way back for them, isn't it? They, a long way back. And the, can, what was the central message from the speech? Because, I mean, was it just Brexit? Was it, you know... Gonna centre ground. I think he was pitching for the centre ground. And he did make an appeal for some in the Conservative Party and some in the Labour Party, some MPs, who he feels uh, won't be part of what he called cults. He got the pronunciation right there. <laughs> they go left, left and right. You, you see what he's, what he's going for, but... It, that centre ground looked horribly soggy and sounded very uninviting. There's a, a, a really good argument to be made about the centre ground, but the problem is, if you're saying that this is the new politics as a centre ground, you cannot have Vince Cable making that argument. It really needs to be a clean skin, a fresh face, someone who's younger, someone who's got energy, someone who's not associated with the coalition government, and I think that might harm Joe Swinson's chances actually of succeeding Vince, and I think it might harm Ed Davies as well, because they're, they're actually both talented people, both talented politicians, but they are associated in inevitably with five years of propping up the Tories. Every, every time I see Jules Swinson with her baby and she took her into the Commons and she's, she's championing the, the rights of mothers, I think, hang on, when you were employment minister, you introduced £1,200 uh, employment tribunal fees for pregnant women who were discriminated against. Ed Davey voted through austerity. Uh, somebody like Leila Morani in Oxfordshire, she may have had views uh, at the time backing what the coalition was doing, but she wasn't an MP. And you could see her coming forward and just being different and fresh. Because I think that long shadow of the Conservatives, the coalition, whatever the Lib Dems say they were gains, they allowed Tories to be Tories, they allowed austerity to be imposed, the bedroom tax cuts to public services, squeezes on living standards, stifling an economic recovery, they're going to be haunted by that for a long, long time to come. Just as Labour uh, was, was haunted by Iraq from Tony Blair, took uh, new people to come along at the top who opposed it in action to, to put that in the past. The Lib Dems need to do that now with the coalition. Yeah. And I kind of, I kind of thought as a kind of sales pitch to kind of you know floating voters or those you know kind of disillusioned with, with Labour or the Conservatives. It was kind of a bit like kind of like somebody kind of setting up a ski lodge in a desert, you know, and then wondering why there was no customers there. You know, it's just like you know, it yeah. wasn't the most kind of enticing of kind of kind of propositions to the public, was it? If it was you're like a floating voter who you know thinks that Conservatives have gone too far to the right of a Brexit and that Labour's gone too far to the left. This is not the party. The, the, the centre ground is not. This the Lib Dems aren't going to excite you. There's, there was nothing in that that would win over floating voters. And I think, to be honest, I think it just adds probably to the disillusionment of people are feeling with politics. You do need someone. You know, it's been compared to Macron in France. Well, <laughs> Vince Cable is no Macron, is it? Let's face it. And obviously, it would be far more difficult to get. You know, because they haven't got a presidential system and all the reasons. But you know, in terms of a young leader. 
It can bring energy and something different. You know, Vince needs to get out of the way, really. I suppose in age-wise, and don't want to be ages, but he's probably old enough to be Macron's grandfather. He's, his politics seem to be from a different period. I was going to say he's old enough to be uh, Macron's uh, wife. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ow, oh, ow. That's Jason Beatty, all complicit. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, at, at the moment, people in their, in their politics, they have gone left and right. They've, yes, they cut the country is split unquestionably, but you just you cannot see how he is going to be a bridge and pull people to, together. And I, I've always liked him, despite his record in government, when he flogged off, privatised the Royal Mail, pushed through uh, tuition fees, sold arms to the Saudi tyranny, thinking they'd never use them. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it, it really just felt here in Brighton as if his moment has passed, yeah. it's gone. And, and you know... To be kind of you know to be fair to him, he is a he is a grown up politician. He, he takes it seriously. He's kind of there's a an kind of a sense of decency about him, yep. despite some yep. of his record compared to you know yeah, absolutely. But and, and there were elements of a speech when he you know he talked about the challenges ahead. And, you know the right ones he noticed. You know but the housing is a major issue. But you know the, the, the kind of impact of um, AI and the kind of fourth industrial revolution. This is going to affect people's lives. You know, and he did try and address these issues. But I thought it didn't come together, as you said, Kevin, at all as one kind of you know kind of unit of a speech. It felt kind of almost like a pick and mix areas to, to address. And, and the one thing he didn't address is what they can do after Brexit because. He doesn't accept that Brexit's going to happen. He wants to fight it, obviously. There are hundreds of people in the hall. They all want to fight Brexit. But they're in denial about the fact that both main parties, who together got 80% of the vote last June, they are both pushing through Brexit. Now, that might change, but until it changes, we're leaving on March the 29th, and then the Lib Dems haven't got a policy. Um, yeah. He should have addressed that. And I think if he, if he waits until March 29th, if he clings on, mm. you know, limps on... Um, then afterwards, the new leader really does have to come up with some policies and accept that Brexit's happened. And, you know, if one of those policies is vote for us and we will accept that to take us back into the EU, it's a perfectly reasonable argument to make. That would be a policy that would set them apart from, from other parties. And that would be fine for a new leader to do that. But they will need something else as well. Well, yeah. Brexit makes them sound like a campaign group rather than a political party. And, it, and if Labour, Jeremy Corbyn, somehow comes round to a people's vote and referendum, which isn't impossible, Vince and the Lib Dems would have absolutely nothing. And the better bits of his speech, for instance, are always very good, when he talked about the unfairness of uh, workers having to pay their taxes, and yet the government rules out the red carpet for world-class tax dodgers like Amazon, Facebook, and Google. He said, well... You could hear John McDonnell or Jeremy Corbyn saying, if, you, if that's what ticks your box and that's what you want, you're more likely to get that with Labour than the Liberal Democrats. And, and there you go back to before 2010 and all went wrong in coalition, but nevertheless, the Liberal Democrats felt fresh and exciting and challenging and a pitch from the left, and he was part of that. He did 10 years ago get the financial collapse more right than wrong and was more on the money than a lot of other politicians. That is a decade ago now. That's a yeah. long time. And, uh, you know, there's a new generation who have voted for the first time who won't remember Tony Blair. They won't remember what war. They won't yeah. the financial crash would have happened when they were kind of eight or nine. You know, this is a whole new era we're entering. And, and he doesn't speak to it at all, does he? It's no, very he interesting. Doesn't. He doesn't. He's not, he's not a politician designed for the digital agency. And, you know, when he tries to use these odd phrases that we mentioned yeah. earlier, he can't even get that right. Um, yeah, he, he, he doesn't look the part. 
If the Lib Dems want to be fresh, vibrant and young, they need a fresh, vibrant yeah. and young. I, 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 I described them as somebody trying to sell kind of encyclopedias door to door on the age of Wikipedia. It felt a bit like that. It was <laughs> like. Yeah, well, you're half expecting them to stop them and speech to suck a word as original. But <laughs> age is no barrier if you're somebody like Jeremy Corbyn who electrifies young people and connects in a way that other politicians haven't for some time. But as you said, Jason. Vince Cable isn't an unaware man. No. He will know, and this will hurt him, and he'll be pained, he'll be frus frustrated, but mm. do you just plough on and just keep banging your head against a brick wall like this, or do you accept, if you love your party, that if it's going to have a chance, it's going to need to have a new leader? Yeah, yeah. Take, take the hit, stay where he is until just after Brexit's happened, then... And then go, go, go with dignity, yeah. rather than... Oh, absolutely. He's, 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 he's an honourable man, he's, yeah. and you know, mm -hmm. the, the stage of the economic yeah. crisis, he predicted it well before mm -hmm. everyone else, and he's, he'll always have that on his record, that he saw that coming, and nobody listened to him, and if he says another one's coming, this time we should. Mm -hmm. But leadership of the party, it's mm -hmm. not worked out for him, and it's yeah. sad on a personal level, because he wanted it for so long and so mm -hmm. much. So we're on, we've done our first of our three party conferences. We go to Liverpool on Saturday for Labour, followed by the Conservatives in Birmingham. Now, my kind of rule of party conferences, and I can be proved wrong on this, is that those which you think are going to be a car crash end up going quite smoothly, and you, those you think are going to go smoothly end up being a car crash. Do you think that's going to happen this time round? Do you think, I mean, you know, there's, there's trouble in both parties, isn't there? But, you know, Labour, they've got, you know, Rule changes coming up for whether you know how they select candidates or not, or an automatic reselection of MPs. I mean, you've got kind of uh, the Tories. They've got you know the kind of the parade of new Tory leaders and the big Brexit divisions. So, how, how do you think Labour's going to go, Kevin? The, the clash in Labour will be will be two clashes. One is between momentum, the activists, and the trade unions over the institutional control of the of the Labour Party, and the other will be between. Momentum, the activists and the trade unions and the militant moderate MPs who look as if they're going to stay away and they're not going to turn up. Record numbers of, uh, of MPs are saying privately they will not go and they will not pay what could be a thousand pounds for a week to go to work and, and be abused and, and told you're, uh, you might be uh, reselected and dumped. So there'll be all that internal change in those tensions. But it's whether Jeremy Corbyn, John McDonnell and others can rise above that, rise above rows about anti-Semitism and get an offer made to, to the British public. But the tricky bit of that is Labour is very fundamentally split on Brexit, which is a big issue. Around austerity, it's pretty united. Around renationalisation, it's pretty united. But this question of Brexit, we know Labour is split, and it looks like it will almost certainly be discussed now on the floor of conference after last year, and inexplicably it wasn't, and it was dodged. This time it will come, and there's growing pressure on Jeremy Corbyn in particular to agree for this people's vote, this referendum. He's resisting at the moment. He'd prefer a general election, but how long can he hold the line? And what's interesting here is the momentum they're young supporters, yep. they're, in, yep. they're in favour of it, they're very anti-Brexit, the trade unions, they're coming yep. around, the GMB yep. noticeably, you know, Unite slightly hedged it, but the GMB definitely are in favour of the people's vote. And then you've got, you know, the kind of the rank and file, you know, supporters who are also in favour of it. And it's a difficult one for Jeremy Corbyn because he is, one, his own personal views as a long-standing Eurosceptic, but also he is very sensitive to the fact that there's an awful lot of Labour voters in the heartland areas who voted leave. There were in the, in the north and in the South Wales Valleys, there were a lot of traditional Labour supporters 
who wanted to, to leave the European Union. He is aware of that. There are others at the top of the party who are aware of that, but they've also got this mass membership who, who almost all of them support staying in the EU. And of course, it's momentum and, and the young activists, they, a lot of those are coming to conference, you know. Yeah, they'll be there. The, you know, the so-called moderate MPs, a lot of them are staying away. I take that. Millet and moderates. The moderate MPs staying away. Um, <laughs> Millet and moderates. But uh, yeah, momentum, they, they, on, on the conference floor, they'll be packed um, into, into the, the main hall. And, you know, they're all pro-EU. So it will be difficult and it, it, it can't be dodged forever. You know, the time is very close now where Jeremy Corbyn's going to have to confront it. Yeah, well, it's the Europeans feel it's moving to them. As you as you say, the union's coming on board. Hope not hate poll, which found 100 seats would now be remain rather than leave. That's what they feel. You get the warnings almost daily now from car companies, whether it's BMW, Jaguar, Land Rover, Honda, mm. Nissan. Manufacturing's going to take a huge hit. So you can, you can see where the tide is going, but does... Jeremy Corbyn go with the tide or does he stand stand there and just hope to turn it back or be swamped King Canute style? He's got a choice here. I, I think he's got Labour worry slightly too much about those voters in the north and in the valleys um, because they're not all going to switch to the Conservatives just over Brexit. They're not at all. Um, we know it did happen in Mansfield Ooh. at uh, the June general election but they were... You know, don't <laughs> The Conservatives, there were a whole swathe of seats they thought they could win over Brexit in the North. And even, you know, they thought they were going to have their best ever results in Wales, and it just didn't happen. Um, so I think Labour, there is a danger that they're, they're not brave enough on uh, so called people's vote. Um, but whether or not, it, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's personal views, up until Stamatine conversion in 2015, he was against the EU for different reasons from Labour's traditional members. Um, you know, he thought it was all because it was a capitalist conspiracy. But his enthusiasm, I think he described as was it seven or seven and a half out of ten, and he campaigned, campaigned with less enthusiasm than that during the yeah. 2016. But you can be a Eurosceptic and still think Britain's better in than out. Uh, that's, that's the pitch he will have to make. Not pretending everything's perfect, but somehow leading for reform is better than leaving. And your job, your income, your security, is better being in and than I out. think John McDonald could be crucial here because you know, he wants to be Chancellor, he doesn't want to be an austerity Chancellor, you know, he wants to come in and make these reforms, redistribute wealth, and it's difficult to redistribute wealth if we're poor as a result of Brexit. So I'd be fascinated to see what he does in his speech as well. Much more pragmatic than Corbyn. Much more pragmatic. Isn't or was John Landsman, the head of Momentum, put it both more ideological and pragmatic? And I think I was absolutely right about mm. uh, about McDonald. He was the effective deputy leader. Yeah. So last year we went into the Labour conference, and you know it was sort of the back of the election. They'd done so much better than expected. We'd had you know people singing "Oh Jeremy Corbyn" at Glastonbury. Um, do you think we're going to have the same buzz this year, or is it going to be a slightly more muted affair? I think it'll be more business-like. I think it'll be getting things done, changing uh, the party structures and the rules, and that and that always creates internal tensions. It's it's inevitably. I mean, I see the strong democratic argument in many ways for open selections. However, if you replace the current trigger ballots, whereby if more than half of branches vote to open the selection, you'll be challenged. If you do that, you're going to have dozens, possibly scores, even hundreds of very tight contests and seats. 
you start deselecting MPs, they're not going to be able to, uh, they're not going to be tied to you and support you in Parliament and tight, tight votes, and also they will be turning into their constituencies and fighting those battles within the party on, on the ground rather than making the case for Labour to a wider public audience. And at the end of the day, uh, power isn't about winning internal elections, it's about winning public elections, that's what you have to do. Yeah, I think this conference compared with last year's sort of second album syndrome really, isn't it? It won't, won't be as good as the first. Um, last year it was, because they'd done so well against all the odds in the general election, it was more of a celebration um, and you know the dissenters kept their mouths shut largely. This year, because there is the work to be done, um, I think there is a lot more tension. Obviously, you know, the anti-Semitism crisis over the summer that may overshadow it, and I think that'll come up on the fringe in the fringe meetings. Um, I think it could kick off there, um, and then if we all start writing about it, then I'll put pressure on leadership in, in a different way. Um, but I think this—you you said business-like. I think that's right because there is the the danger danger, maybe it's the wrong word, of a general election very time, very soon um, and you've got to get your act together really, uh, ready for that and have policies in place so that if there is a general election in November or straight, you know, April, something like that can hit the ground running. Yeah, but as we saw today, you know, the leader's speech can not you know, set the tone and be the memory of conference. Mm. So, and you know, and, and Vince fluffed his today. I mean, it's perfectly possible that Jeremy could, you know, after a difficult three or four days of internal squabbling, fighting over rule book, could come out and actually give a, you know, a better than expected speech. He's not the most kind of natural orator, but he can do well when he's going to feeds the crowd as well, doesn't it? Yeah. That's the thing. And if you, you know, if you've got however many, you know, the Liverpool Hall holds, a couple of thousand people, yeah. And there's the buzz and excitement. He does. He does feed off that, and I think mm. he takes confidence from that. He's not, you know, not the world's best orator at all, yeah. but he, he does get confidence and people welcoming everything he says. And there'll be you know, the traditional attacks on conservatives, and that that will help him. I think it boosts yeah. his confidence. He's almost so. certainly to be better received mm. than, uh, than Cable. Uh, they, mm. There weren't that many in the hall here. They they in Brighton. They'd sort of change the furniture, the curtains, and so on, and make it as small as they could. Yeah, and look at crowd, but it wasn't. Yeah. But you know, there'll be several thousand in uh, in the Labour conference, and they will be willing Corbyn to succeed. So he will. He's guaranteed a rapturous welcome. He will respond to that. He will be buoyed by it, and he will be be cheered. And let's be honest, he'd probably be cheered if he just ran out the Liverpool telephone directory. And we'll be back. This time on Wednesday uh, to give our verdict on Jeremy Corbyn's speech, see how exciting he was when he read out the telephone directory, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we'll be looking ahead to the Tories. Thank you for joining us and thank you for listening.